and welcome to the Dicer Streaming, <laughs> the podcast where the bridge is perpetually washed out and you'll have to stay the night. <laughs> or, or should I laugh? <laughs> oh, I like that. A little more, a little more villainy. Yeah. Well, yeah, hey, it's uh, it's spooked over fully. It's in October, and we're gonna be doing all this crazy stuff all month long. Yeah. So you were warned. Yeah. I mean, you know, let, let's be perfectly candid. At the time of recording, this is the end of September, the last day before we launch into true October, the spooky season. But we're kicking it off with uh, I. I what I feel is some high-quality material that is totally relevant to this uh, wonderful, creepy, spooky, Halloween-y time of year. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great time for gaming. Uh, we usually talk about Call of Cthulhu, and that's going to be no exception this year. Uh, but I want to start out by saying that Call of Cthulhu usually deserves to be played more than just around Halloween. But however, if you have to play it, <laughs> or if you only have one time a year where you can squeeze it into your hardcore gamers, well, this is the season. Yeah, I mean, zero shame. Uh, it's great to play all year round, but like this is that zone. This is when, ah, frankly, there's there's just a sensibility uh, that people seem to have as we get into October that whets their appetite for a good horror game. Well, yeah. I'm not going to diss that. You know, this is where the shadows lengthen and the leaves are falling and there's a chill in the air. Of course, what would befit you for better for an atmosphere for moody, dark role-playing experiences? And I did a little send-up on my Twitter today, so you can read that. As well as, uh, yeah, thanks everybody for the great feedback on our review of Red Book of Magic. Glad you liked it and... Uh, yeah, we didn't cover one of the things we talked uh, was talked about was we didn't really delve into the runes too much because well, there's 500 of them. Gee, uh, which one to take a pick of? Um, <sighs> yeah, I, like only the most casual of references were made to them because, uh, yeah, it is the book is literally not a time waster or a money waster. Mm. It go it launches right into this inordinately large collection of all of the. You know, so many of the previously published, along with some of the newly published uh, runes available to RuneQuest players. So, yeah, I mean, for a slender, well-crafted volume, it is just packed from end to end. Uh, which did present a little problem, because as we were preparing to make the podcast, we ruled out uh, going over the individual runes one <coughs> by one, because that just... No, no, there was no way we... we... Oh, we'd, we'd be here for months. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, but hey, you know, one of the things about uh, RuneQuest is those rune spells, I, I don't think I've seen a better put-together magic system for that one. One that captures the atmosphere of the gods and the setting perfectly, so... But yeah, thanks for the kind words. We got a lot of good feedback Fair. about it, and, you know, really happy with uh, how it turned out for us, so... All right. But, yeah, so we're just going to get right on into it. Um, oh, but wait, we got to do our portents for the future. What do they hold for us? Well, now, have we got an augury for you? Uh, I have been reading the movements of the birds. Uh, ah. Yeah, I, I laid aside the sheep guts, I, I put aside the tea leaves, and uh, I... <laughs> This, I, I've stopped being the Oneromancer, mostly because I don't get enough sleep lately. Oh, boy. Uh, but I have read the movements of the birds, and in those patterns I have divined that we're looking at the beginning of October's uh, podcasts with Zombie Movie Night. Wow. Yeah. Why didn't we do this earlier? I... Well, that, <laughs> I mean, Day of the Dead. I mean, let's or Dawn of the Dead or yeah, any we, of the dead movies we're, alone we're, are worthy of review on their own particular one. Yeah, this this is seasonal appropriate and an homage to one of the great moments in film history that Dawn of the Dead built a genre overnight. Okay, it starts with Romero, but it then begins to morph out into the rest of the world. 
and the huge impact it has had on both film and television culture. So, yeah, zombie movie night coming at you. Yeah, so if uh, you're... You're, you're going to be trapped in the house, and it's like zombie movie night is going to be trying to break in through the windows and crawl down the chimney and bust in through the front door. So you, you better, like, board yourself up in your cabin and do the best you can to survive. Uh, you know, see if you can make it till dawn. So grab that wood axe, load that <laughs> shotgun, and get the crowbar ready because yeah. we'll be coming at you. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, if you're a big horror movie fan like we are, we'll, of course, probably we'll, we'll be talking about uh, my favorite movie, which is Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can't not do Romero. You know, yeah. just like... Yeah, I don't know. That, There's just something about that first movie. Okay, I'll save it for the next one. Yeah, There's something yeah, about that first it's gonna movie. It's going to happen. It will get the coverage it deserves. Whew, I mean, it, all it, right. The best we can do. I'm uh, all the flutter over which, here. We're almost not worthy. I mean, I feel like, you know, it, it's two it, heathens going into a church to, like, offer praise. And, like, we, mm. we don't belong there. We're not good enough. But we feel like we have to. So, no. No, I know we're not, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. All right. Well, what we are worthy of is talking about games and stuff. And here we are with some Call of Cthulhu. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about The Haunting or The Haunted House from the original box set as well as the new improved version for 7th edition Call of Cthulhu. So this has been probably an introductory adventure much like... Um, Village of Hamlet. Yeah. A- uh, Keep on the Borderlands, Apple Lane. Good analogy, because, I mean, in all of those instances, uh, they were modules meant to help new players uh, walk into a game and get their sea legs about them, you know, before they're thrown into the deep end. Uh, now, <laughs> uh, Call of Cthulhu does that in a slightly different way. I mean, it, it's still... Like, all right, there's some sharp elbows here. Yeah, so... Or, or, sh- or, or should I say posts? Oh. But, but uh, not to give too much away right away, but yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. You're correct. This is a terrific introductory module and always has been. Yeah, in the original edition, um, it was right there on the ready-to-play scenarios. It was the first one offered, The Haunted House, and uh, it gives you... It starts in the early 20s um, and deals with Walter Corbett. And, um, yeah, it's a nice little uh, couple paragraphs with kind of chintzy map. And, uh, yeah, you find out what's in the basement. <laughs> We've traced the calls, and they're coming from the basement. They're in here with us. Yeah, so it goes right into a kind of... In central Boston, uh, the landlord's looking to get this house cleared, and he inquires into the investigators which for their time, and is willing to reverse them for their time and trouble. And there's an illusion right in the first uh, paragraph right there that there's been a lot of tragedies, and this has tainted the reputation of the house, and nobody wants to move in. Yeah, that weirdness abounds, that it's, it's spooky and creepy. And that if some people with at least some established reputation can at last prove that this is all nonsense or, you know, get rid of whatever is haunting it, uh, then this guy can finally lease it out again and not have the residents go insane or kill themselves or die under mysterious cloudy circumstances. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah, you can see where somebody would be like, I need this dealt with. I don't even care if the channels aren't ordinary. Uh, I will find, you know, strange... Theoretically professional, uh, you know, look seekers after mystery who will look into this for me. Uh, that is the opener, the 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 hook that drops in the water to bait the player characters in. The haunted house, such a classic. Yeah, and it and it gives references that there's some research to be done. Maybe there's some background or questions, but it's very loose and. It doesn't really provide in the early scenario a whole lot of material for the game or the keeper to flesh out and give the information and proper treatment that this scenario deserves. Yes, I, I will say that that uh, some of the early DMs really had to fill in the blanks. Yeah, and they they had to like uh, 
You gotta add a little flour to thicken the mix a little. Keep player characters busy asking questions around town. Uh, you know, and you sort of had to invent your own people, like uh, the, the local gardener who, you know, uh, has periodically passed by the outside of this place and has seen things that you know, are hard to explain. Or, yeah, a journalist can inquire into contemporaries about what went down here a number of years ago. Looking into newspaper records of past residents and how right. they died. Yeah, but early keepers, you know, without a lot of experience in this type of game, could find themselves quickly lost in that, or, you know, just kind of assuming certain things. So the players could just stumble in there blindly. Which is, of course, why it got such a death toll. Because yes, you well. really weren't knowing what to expect. Yeah, so giving a fair critique, okay, giving a fair critique, this was the weak point of the haunting, as much as we love it, and we knew uh, it's one of its critical weaknesses. The the one thing that I would would look back on and say, honestly, was a deficit, was that there was very little in the way of lead-in. So it did sort of... Throw the kids in the deep end and just like, well, this is going to sort itself out. This is a haunted house with a crazy old dead guy in the basement. Yeah, Darwin's in charge of this one, you know, because... And here, deathbed and rears its ugly head. Yeah, let's talk about the deathbed. Yeah, okay? let's, shall we? All right, Let, so there's a Sirac. the curtain. A Sirac. The Demi-Lich of Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> now, there's a room... In the Tomb of Horrors, the trapezoidal room. We're not going to give too much away here. But you walk up, and then you come up to these large 25, 28-foot mithril doors. And there's a way through them. But, you know, player characters being who they are, they may decide to stab the doors. And when they stab those doors, the doors behind them shut, sealing them into this trapezoidal 20-foot by 30-foot wide chamber. And it begins to leak blood from those gashes that you've inflicted on it. And at first it starts out just a kind of a trickle, then it starts to increase in volume. Just a few inches on the floor, and then a foot, and then five feet, ten feet, and then twenty feet, and you're dead. So you have a limited number of rounds to get out. But you find out, reading in the text, for the DM only, that all the people, that the blood of that is all the people who have died here. So let's do some math. The human body is full of 5.5 liters of blood, and the volume is about 200,000 square feet. So that roughly comes out, if you divide it down, to about 55,000 people have died in Tomb Horrors. Now let's assume <laughs> that a Syric had the employed of... And not, not just <laughs> from uh, <laughs> uh, fear. I mean, like that, that, that is the death toll, not the number of people who have been utterly and absolutely destroyed. Or the people who have been teleported out naked. <laughs> right, all those who have died within the Tomb of Horrors. So there are, there are others uncounted for it. So if we take into account that maybe thirty-five to 25,000 laborers, craftsmen, and artisans were employed <laughs> to build the tomb, and Assyric obviously killed them all because he's not going to let anybody come out of that alive. Yeah, like... <laughs> what do you mean? You? I, can't, I had a ring of truth on when I asked him, would you pay me in full? I will give you more money. Than you could ever use in an entire lifetime. Because your life is measured in moments. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that was true. He was telling the truth. He was intending to pay you in full. And take it back after he had uh, destroyed you that utterly. he's not leaving anybody to walk out with the floor plan. Exactly. <laughs> so, the tomb's about 800 years old. Which means roughly about 28 adventures a year. After those 55, or after those 30,000... Uh, are accounted for that leaves about another 25 or so thousand of uh, the floating number uh, that are teleported naked out in the vast marsh and to left to die of exposure. So that means roughly 28 adventurers every year have perished in the Tomb of Horrors. Okay? Uh, keep on the borderlands. The old man. <laughs> That forest should be literally nothing but like a carpet of bones, thanks to the old hermit and his frickin' wildcat. Yes. Speaking of Creep of the Borderlands, yeah, the crazy old hermit. Yeah, that guy's... He's like, yeah, those are rookie numbers. You gotta gotta pump those numbers up. But when Acerarak and the 
Hermit on the Borderlands get together for like a cold pint. Uh, they sit down and they speak with hushed admiration of the deathbed in the haunting. Yes. Uh, big fans of his work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like all the adventures, you know, the series, like all the adventures that come into my tomb, they are prepared in some way, but truly find themselves shocked at the end of what really is going to happen, uh, how this is unfolded. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. I have a sword that detects traps. I have an amulet life protection and none of it's working. Why? Why? And, yeah. you know, the old creep in the borderlands, like, <laughs> well, you know, how they always trust me. I always seem as a harmless old man until their back is turned. And then I turn into a raving monster and backstepped and doing triple damage. <laughs> but, yep. Yeah. They, they don't, the look in their eyes is what I live for. But no one gets that look as they do falling out of the sec third story. Yes. Of the to of top floor of the bedroom in The Haunting of the Corbett House. Now, remembering that in Call of Cthulhu, a character has a more or less fixed level of hit points and then a degree of skill and ability that eventually increases and insulates them somewhat. But, you know, they're, they're an ordinary human being in Call of Cthulhu's uh, gameplay mechanics reflect that. Mm -hmm. uh, they are not super persons. They may learn a spell or two, but they're not super beings. So, <laughs> if you can imagine, like, what was that? Well, I think there was something outside. Let's windows uh, rattling. What, what, what something what's going on with the window? <coughs> and they walk up, and then they are bum rushed, <laughs> slammed into by an animated bed, and flung bodily out the window. Possibly through the window. Yeah, like, with broken glass. right through it and hurled to the ground 30 feet below. <laughs> yeah, and this is your introduction <laughs> to Call of Cthulhu. Because everybody knows, don't look in the basement at first. <laughs> or if you do, well, I guess this game just got even better. <laughs> Good, I don't have to worry about it description in any of those rooms. This is going to come to an awesome end. And yeah, okay, we make a lot of fun about keepers gloating over TP. TPKs. And part of that is, yeah, players aren't armed with the information that they probably could have needed. And especially with Novus Keepers, new to the genre and the use of the, and library use as a freaking life saving skill in Call of Cthulhu. I don't even, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Deathbed no has got some card great numbers. is a lifesaver. Okay, just being able to, you know, that Dewey Decimal System sure saved my bacon. Said no one ever except in this game. <laughs> it's the only time uh, you will ever run across somebody going, Whew! Oh, boy, thank God. I knew how to use a library. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I've killed more players with that bed out that window. Because <laughs> nobody ever sees it coming. Uh, it seems harmless enough. Your attention is on the rattling window pane. The tension is up. The last thing anybody anticipates is being bum-rushed by an animated piece of furniture and hurled out of a freaking window. Yeah, the bed itself does uh, fairly sizable damage if it crashes on you, you know, but it's Call of Cthulhu, and uh, you, you have to give players a little warning. So you're like, well, I guess that house really is haunted. Shame we had to burn it to the ground. <laughs> Hope you had insurance. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, there have been some bitter PCs that were like, uh, screw the reward. I'm lighting this place up. I'm going to town and getting a bucket of kerosene. Uh, I have had it with that crap. You don't push me out of a window, house. <laughs> well, especially with Mr. Corbett, who lays dormant in the bed. So, yeah, we have to give an homage to Deathbed because right there beside the Syrac. And the creep on the borderlands is <laughs> one of the, the deathbed. One of the great uh, PC killers of all time. Uh, right up there with our favorite classics. So, yeah, we, we could not ignore that. Uh, <laughs> uh, recommendations. Um, filling in the blanks a little bit and creating some opportunities for the player characters to get info about the place. Uh, can raise their guard a little bit, and I highly recommend that. That that's a DM slash keeper responsibility, where you'll want to try to encourage the players uh, to perform those investigatory tasks beforehand, 
and fill in some opportunities for that, like local witnesses, uh, people who used to live or you know, like, uh, pass by that area on a regular <laughs> basis. Uh, you know, <laughs> the paper boy who gives the place a wide berth. That place scares the crap out of me. Oh, there's always weird sounds at night. Right. I'm on my way home. The, yeah, the I just go the other way and you know, like take an extra mile. Folk from the old country who have migrated to America in the early 20s, they avoid the place like the plague. Yeah, the old lady still uses like the, the sign to ward off the evil eye every time she passes by it. Ooh. Yeah, nobody walks on the, uh, on the same side of the street as it. And, and every, at night, not even dogs Yeah, will cross it. Local you know? animals. Yeah, so you can fill the landscape with things that will hint to the player characters that they should probably lend some credence to this and expect some actual threat. Because, the, as we said about the early flaw, was it, it was kind of a deep end as far as yeah. gaming went. And new players who had never done Call of Cthulhu, they got such a rude awakening with this module. Which I love, <laughs> but that is a legitimate yeah. critique. There's a sadistic laugh from both of us because we're DMs and sometimes the look, the look on the player... We victimized by this, both of us, at one point or another. <laughs> and then we gleefully turned around and like, oh my god, that was great! I gotta totally do this to other people. <laughs> oh yeah, because we're bad people. <laughs> That's why we're DMs. It's like pranking, you know. Once once you've been pranked, you're like, ooh, I have to do this. Now, in the defense of the first, um, the first edition of this uh, when it was uh, in the original core book or in the box set. Sorry, you can't say core book <clears throat> in the in the first book. They didn't. They had limited space, so they couldn't properly give this a treatment that later Call of Cthulhu and Chaosium supplements would be known for. However, they made up for that more than made up for that in the new edition with uh, the free to download quick start rules. The haunting is presented here in its full glory with handouts and lots of clues, in particular to get people or investigators clued into this and you may think you may be giving a little bit away which is fine because you're actually setting a darker tone for this adventure than would originally be given you know that was implied in the original text that yeah there was some dark happenings with a cult and kidnappings and the murmurings from police officers and journalists about child sacrifices but this one yeah they don't hold anything back uh they're you know 1835 uh there's a numerous up from 1835 and up to 1918. Yeah, there is a history available, like uh, the clippings that are provided for the player characters to hand out as tidbits of information. Yeah, and should are they use good. those? Are, yeah, should they pursue these clues? Yeah, that if they, if the DM has hinted to them that that stuff is out there for them to look into before entering the house. They can actually learn a few tidbits about Mr. Corbett and his uh, inauspicious relationship with the neighborhood and neighbors uh, over the decades before his presumed demise. Now, uh, one of them being like a, a lawsuit, uh, another being a newspaper article, uh, and still another, the like origin point of the house, the like... It, it's building. It's being built in 1835, and the original owner fell ill and sold it to Walter Corbett. Uh, but as the handouts come out, uh, you further learn that Corbett won the lawsuit uh, against him by neighbors who didn't want him around. Uh, but he died, and his obituary is dated 1866, uh, stating that he had lived in it right up to the end. It also states that a second lawsuit was being waged to prevent Corbett from being buried in his basement, as provided by his will. Uh, so, yeah, you've gotten your strong warning that, hey, I wonder if it's the spirit of old crazy Mr. Corbett. Yeah, and then uh, going to the Boston Globe, you can find that a story was uh, written but never published. It stated in 1880, a family of French immigrants moved in the house but fled after a series of violent accidents left the parents dead and three children crippled. And you can even find out further by searching from the search uh, that one of the... Another uh, family moves in. Yeah, another family moved in and one of the members is still alive. 
But uh, they and another family left in 1918 under mo a very mysterious circumstance. So there's lots of things to use, and this is what I like about it, is this part of the scenario teaches the players how to use their contacts, um, how to reach out to associates, if you, know, if you have a journalist or an investigative journalist-type character that uh, may be writing for the 14 Times or one of the weird pulp magazines. Of the era, yeah. You know, uh, the Central Library is, uh, and the Hall of Records uh, are both locations that you might go. Uh, and make inquiries as to the origin and background and shady history of this residence. Yeah, and using skills like credit rating, oh boy, and uh, persuade skill, charm, and of course my favorite, you know, calling Zulu fast talk. Uh, ah, what do you mean? I'm from, the, I'm from the Bureau of Parks, Works, and Recreation, and I'm here to investigate, see if the plumbing is up to date in the, in the housing code in this area. What nothing you said just makes sense. No, that's not important right now. What is important? You need to show me this because I'm acting all official and I'm in a hurry. <laughs> I believe you have a beaver infestation and I happen to be a licensed beaver inspector. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> all right. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of things and they've obviously expanded on the background and also the neighborhood as well. And we made a good... Um, pitch about how you can also pull that in if players just decide to talk to nearby locals or others that are have resided in the neighborhood for a while. And uh, old Mr. Dooley <sighs> is uh, one of the NPCs, but he's just one of many that you could create for this. So as if, if this is your first time as a keeper, this is a really a good time to branch out and get into feeling your chops not just as a purveyor of information and giver of handouts, but as an actual participant of a lot of the NPCs of this era. Yeah, typical of all DM slash keeper scenarios, you have to become all of the beings that they interact with. Uh, and blessedly, the haunting does provide you with uh, a fairly complete, uh, on those occasions that you are going to have conversations as someone the players are interviewing, uh, they have provided you with a pretty firm grasp of the linchpin points you have to get across to players that are of use if they ask. Right, and if the players delve deep enough, they can actually go to the sanitarium and contact one of the people who has... Lone survivor. Yep. Yeah. Gabriello. Macario. And... Gabriella Macario. Gabriella, excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah, is um, one, of, one of the few survivors, and she can just basically give you the one bit of information that players take it. Watch out for that fucking bed. Oh, I'm sorry. She doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but her, her excellent point that the veiled hint that the players get by his own weapon is the devil worsted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that there's an important clue buried in there that uh, Mr. Corbett uh, must be taken out with something of his own. Mm -hmm. oh. And so, armed with this, hopefully the players return to the house a little bit more prepared. Now, the old Corbett place, uh, it's all bricked up and boxed up. They use, strangely enough, the same kind of little quaint map that was included in the original set. So, kudos for that, I guess. Uh, there's not really not much to tell. I mean, it's one. It's basically a three-story. Um, what is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, look, you got a three-bedroom, three-story, with full basement. Yeah. Living room, dining room, kitchen, little storage chambers, staircases up. Uh, you know, and then upstairs, multiple <coughs> bedrooms, and then downstairs, the basement, storage, and <coughs> hidden area, or you know, concealed. Yeah, and also in here, if the players are careful enough to look around and find it, they can find three volumes of Cthulhu Mythos lore, books that call forth a being known as the Opener of Ways, which is a dimensional shambler. And if you know what a dimensional shambler is, you do not want to summon one of those things. Oh, no. Yeah. Phew. Yeah, welcome to Bad News City. Like, per usual, as we have so often said with regard to Call of Cthulhu, burn the books. Um, you know, you you can claim them as your prize and learn these things. Yeah, but you can yeah. you can send it away with us <laughs> by learning this spell. A mind dimensional shambler 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may want to. You may find an occasion in which you're glad you know that spell. Uh, summon dimensional shambler. Worst idea ever. Yeah. <laughs> Those no things worst. are just like perpetually hungry and angry. Yeah, that not your friends. So. It does sound like my ex, though. But yep, totally in there, the, the devil is worsted by his own weapon. That proves true. You can find it downstairs as finally as you get there. And of course, we've made a lot of do about the upstairs, so you know it's lurking up there. And if a good keeper is able to play the mood, uh, he can lure the investigators up there by bumps and strange sounds, only to distract them. And, yep, there it comes. But uh, in the old scenario, it just pushed you out. This one, they let you make a dodge roll, which I always thought was fair anyway. You should just give a good old player character, hapless player character, a, a dodge roll right at the last minute and just let them let well, the dice fall where they may on that one. I'd have hung it on uh, whether they were fully and completely surprised or not. Like if, true, if, true. If they were subject to having been surprised and had no expectation or warning of it, boom, well, you're just hosed. Uh, however, if you were not genuinely surprised, uh, if everybody's guard was up, if you had somebody to warn you if something starts moving, eh, okay, you know what, dodge roll is totally appropriate. So I'm in the middle on that one. Situationally, the unwary deserve whatever happens. Sure. The oh, yeah, cautious but... certainly deserve consideration. Yeah, if you're on edge, if players are on edge and asking and acting like they're really up, the keyed up, give them a dodge roll. If they're just like ho hum, I look out the window. <laughs> yep, out Ow. you go. Take Boy, it. <laughs> now, uh, downstairs, they finally corner the actual Mr. Corbett. Yep, and uh, there's a few items down there that can help them if they look around, but that knife comes up, and it's an arcade knife, and there's a couple nice references online where you can download some pictures of that Mr. Corbett's knife. <laughs> and I definitely recommend because that knife comes flying out and it attacks on its own. Now, here's a battle, usually with the big bad evil guy, that most, that changes Kalakathu's perceptions of players. They anticipate a big fight with a, a dangerous opponent. Here's somebody they really can't best because the knife itself isn't the enemy. Per se, it's yeah. the when I say the knife, you know, uh, l let me elaborate sure. for a and explain that Corbett is a force. Okay, he is not a traditional how you would think of it a physical being. His body is concealed in the basement, uh, but his spirit, his presence, is animating. It's floating the knife and attacking players with it. So here's the thing: you can't really kill in the traditional sense. I mean, it, it doesn't just, like, oh, I unload a couple of rounds of buckshot into it, and down it goes. Nope. All of that is off the table. It's up to the players to work this out for themselves. Hopefully, they've gotten a clue. Huh. Yeah, and the knife is magical, and it, uh... And, you, and play, certain players may find that it's just best to shut the door and approach this later on. <laughs> but um, Come back he does have there. a limited magic point pool that he can animate things with and do stuff with. So the, yeah, the keeper, this is not like you know he has superpower where he can do anything forever. Uh, you know, like he too is burning energy <clears throat> to do this, so that it's not like the players are completely hosed against an unbeatable opponent. Now, uh, certain strong player characters may try to grab the knife out of the air and wrestle it, and that, the rules are there for that, and that's fine. But eventually, somebody's going once you've got a hold of the knife. It's the character's strength versus Corbett's formidable power score. And then you're going to have to find some way to, either if the players haven't figured it out or deduced it from themselves, that that hidden area that's been newly bricked in is where the source is. And when they find Corbett there, they will be attacked by a rat pack, which is kind of nasty. But, uh, hey, that's what uh, kerosene's for, right? <laughs> Yeah, you can drive them off. Uh, there are means available to player characters who are creative. Uh, if they've taken any preparation whatsoever, uh, they may find a way to drive that off. Uh, it does tend to surprise player characters, though, because having faced other things in the house before, they're not really 
ready for like generic Rat Pack. I mean, you know, every every beginner adventure, oh, it always comes back to rats. Mm-hmm. Darn those giant rats! Uh, but and this, here you are, this fighting different. rats. Yeah, this yeah. is a little bit different. But they can be driven off, but still uh, a surprise to an unwary investigator who bre- breaches the wall and thinks, oh, I'll just get to that body, and it's not undefended. And then finding out that Corbett will animate his uh, moldering old corpse and get up and dominate, uh, use his dominate spell on a susceptible, probably the most strongest and weak-willed player character. Yeah, and this is the mark of desperation. That, like his moldering corpse buried in the basement in accordance with his wishes. Uh you know, that's the focal point of his power. It is easier for the spirit of Corbett, you know, for the mind, the presence, to animate a weapon. Uh, you know, to animate things and make them move. That's less difficult. But if the players are this close to Corbett's body, uh, if they have broken down the wall into the, the spare room and they're making the approach to Corbett's actual, you know, dead body. Yeah, he's going to get up and he's going to fight with everything he's got at his disposal and he will hold nothing back. And he's pretty nigh invulnerable, but except for that knife. Yeah, which, whoop. Yeah, one good loophole there. I mean, if you've got your paws on that, he's toast. Yep, and so this is a really tough adventure. It can really take a lot out of investigators. That rat swarm can be deadly. And if you think that your player's I've been, been having a rough go of it so far. A couple of them have died to the bed and you know, one to the knife. Maybe pulling the rat pack or the rat swarm back would be probably advisable. Or at least just going down to a, a few easy-to-manage ones. Uh, in the, fairness, the knife isn't super fatal. Uh, oh, it wasn't fine. It does <laughs> extra killed. damage. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's bad, but it's usually not one-hit-one-kill. Oh, it gives Unless the players... you roll a crit with it. And, uh, okay, okay. Now, the crit notwithstanding. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, normal damage, like it would wound a person badly, and right. players would have time to go, oh crap, we're outgunned here. We don't know what this is. we got to back out. Uh, and then maybe it ganks one more person as they're fleeing. Uh, so, I mean, the players are entirely entitled to withdraw and then make another attempt. Absolutely, since Corbett has all the time in the world. Yeah, he can wait. He doesn't mind. And of course, you know, I mean, he doesn't get weaker with time. He gets back any spell points that he spent, any energy points he spent to animate things and, uh, you know, attack the players. He'll be ready again next time. Yep, and so he's, he, when he does manifest or rise up, it's a pretty big sanity loss there. And some investigators may be sitting on the floor mumbling or faint or pass out. So make sure you're well up on the temporary insanity rules. Yeah. For, and look, make sure all your investigator sheets are filled out with their uh, thresh, sanity threshold. Because they're probably not going to lose uh, gain a full-on insanity, but they're probably going to have a moment of just complete nervous breakdown. Yeah, it's possible that uh, any player characters you have that do not have a... If they're not coming into this with a particularly robust sanity score, the sudden loss during the course of the game, like two or three events in particular... Yeah, five or more points is going to drive you to a temporary bout of madness. Yeah. So it's almost a guarantee. There are several moments Mm -hmm. interspersed throughout this module where sanity effects are going to take place. Now, they might lose one or two here or like three or four there. But it's an almost near certainty that every single player in this will be challenged by a five-point loss of insanity at some point. It doesn't always result. I mean, that's up to the dice to decide. Right. They may come through it like, okay, shake it off. Yeah, one round temporary bout of uh, gibbering madness or just inconsolable shock, sopping, weeping, or just even outright fainting can happen. And so you have to be up, up for that. And, you know, finally when you bring him to ground, he's stabbing him to death with his own dang dagger. How, how ironic for such an evil, corrupt individual. Yeah. How much evil that dagger's done and it does him in. His flesh ward spell, which gives him armor, which makes him down to those shotgun blasts. What do you mean he just took 12 points of damage and just shrugged it off? I just said he took 12 points of damage <laughs> and it didn't even affect him. What do you mean? It's some kind of made-up weird monster? What kind of thing? He's an ancient sorcerer of cruel, mean, and 
no small no, accumulated knowledge of arcane knowledge. Yeah, arcane he's got power. Tough spells under his under his belt, you know. Yeah, that flesh ward spell. Hmm. But speaking of arcane, arcane. Oh wait, the oh. eye. The eye. No. Oh, here it is. Oh, once again, the arcane eye opens its dread gaze and it falls upon. Hey, all right, we're just going to drop all pretenses. The arcane eye. We use it to highlight independent games, small press, and all kinds of media, geek culture, and get your eyeballs on something else other than our podcast once in a while. Maybe your ears. Maybe it's the arcane ear. Maybe it's the arcane. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> the, uh, oh, what was the old spell? Uh, the magic spell that sent... Audible Glamour? No, the one that uh, I think it sent um, the wizard eye. You sent the wizard eye around corners uh, to go look at stuff. No. Uh, it was our good attempt, but let's be super candid. There is something that we just got to share. Uh, no pretense. It's that time of year again, and this is the game for this season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just not even... I'm not even going to pretend. It's Ten Candles. If you're not playing Ten Candles this Halloween, you should be. And if... You haven't heard of Ten Candles? Well, let us tell you. Go to calvarygames.com, Ten Candle uh, slash Ten Candles. You'll find it, and it is a great game. It is played with tea lights as your life counters. <laughs> and yes, there are dice involved, but it is zero prep. It is so easy to play, but yet it is so dark. It is a tragic game, and I can't tell you about the ending because it will spoil it. Just play it. Go look it up for yourselves. And if you can just find a way to get your players to do this just once, uh, some night, get them to play Ten Candles, I'm pretty much going to guarantee it's a definite change of pace uh, that for those with an inclination towards some storytelling and the spookiness, yeah, you're going to have a good time. You're yeah, gonna be you're going to have a good time. Trust us on this one. So... With the Arcane Eye, we've always tried to highlight small projects. But if you have something you'd like us to look at, if you have an independent game or module or adventure, or even a supplement you'd like us to look at, hey, just let us know here at the Dice of Screaming. You can let us know on our Facebook page. But we wanted to get back to the haunting. So the Arcane Eye releases you from its dread Eldritch gaze, and you're back. Avant! You are dispelled, O oh Eldritch Eye. Inspiration only was a few rounds this time. Whew, we're lucky. So yeah, uh, finally, uh, if you are able to get um, bring Mr. Corbett down, Mr. Corbett Esquire. Uh, not a, some people may even think he's a vampire, and that's just not the case. Of course, let the the keeper is perfectly willing to let the players keep that. Uh, it, I personally think it would be a terrific idea to maybe even imply that they're dealing with a vampire because it's a red herring. I mean, if you've got tougher players who are more experienced, you could red herring them into thinking that that's what they're dealing with. And then those applicable solutions for that killing a vampire... That dominate person fail. smell and the flesh ward could definitely give the illusion of being a vampire-like creature. Uh, yeah, he does drink, like to drink blood, but uh, he could also eat carrots. But just drinking blood is a more fun for him. Yeah, he, he does that because he likes it, <laughs> not because he has to. <laughs> um, no, I do like a, a good, uh, you know, bluff, where the players think they're getting into one kind of issue, and then it turns out to be another. So that's a favorite for me. Um, yeah, and of course, Mr. Corbett's amulet's still here, so if you remember that from the first one, that's, that's a nice little keepsake for the players. An extra point of power goes a long way. In hey, this in this game, it really does. Okay, in Call of Cthulhu, that's that's actually pretty meaningful. Yeah, but with all the sanity loss you get in this one, even if you uh, completely destroy Mr. Corbett, you only get one die six sanity back. So, yeah, the, it, this adventure, right off the bat, could permanently change a lot of the investigators. They would bear mental wounds of this for a long time. Yeah, i got to say, it does take a steep sanity... Uh, bite out of the player characters uh, with the permanent gains after the module being comparatively small uh, other than like hey they're guaranteed their fee uh, if they destroy Corbett successfully and clear the house uh, they, they will get paid 
Yep. Uh, and of course, like a little magic book and an amulet going around. But beyond that, uh, you're not getting a large quantity of sanity points out of this. And you may have cashed in quite a few of them going in. <laughs> yeah, but with a little bit, bit of luck, resourcefulness, and prep, and legwork before going in, the players may actually just come out of this fairly even. And, hey, that's a pretty equitable trade for a first adventure. So, I highly recommend that your first Call of Cthulhu outing, if you're a new keeper, using the Haunting from the 7th edition. And if you're an old school player wanting to revisit uh, back to your friends when you first played this, you know, uh, you can play by the original rules. There's not a lot of difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just take some of the handouts from this one and expand the game and make a make a pulled shot out of it. You know, just uh, have a good night. Oh, entirely worth it. This one, still long-standing favorite. We have referenced it many times, and it has been an enormous pleasure. The big temptation was, like, we really wanted to pop the cork on this before we got to October. But, you know, we, we kept holding off, like, oh, come on, just a little further. We're almost to the finish line. It's nearly the Halloween yep. season. Uh, so, yes, yes, we finally did it. Oh, I feel much better. Yeah, and, you know, what's one of the great uh, things, the intros, your first brush with a new game or genre or system, you want to put your best foot forward. And I think the haunting or the haunted house scenario had a lot of potential. You know, just how crazy the scenario is. And how it changes your expectations and really sets the tone for like, this is Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> okay, you get pushed out of a third story window by a bed. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> you might want to come to terms. Wait, I thought we were for, going to be fighting cosmic horrors. Oh, you will. <laughs> oh, oh, it's coming. <laughs> oh, wait for Did it. Did you think that was the only thing that could happen to you? <laughs> oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> we have such sights to show you. I will make your suffering legendary even in hell. <laughs> and that's the whole thing about the horror is, you know, Call of Cthulhu, you know, I have all five parts of horror in one game. You know, some are just, you know, yes, uh, I know <clears throat> beyond the supernatural and stalking, I fantastic to do it, but I don't think uh, I've yet to see a solid argument. I mean, you know, there's probably one out there that somebody's convinced it is, but uh, I, I just, Call of Cthulhu, all five elements of horror are, are always there. You can take the Cthulhu elements out and just run stock uh, werewolf uh, type oh, yeah. adventure. You, uh, you, you can totally have go a serial killer. Kolchak the Night Stalker, which, I mean, man, I'm so embarrassed that, like, I missed including that uh, during one of our earlier episodes. Yeah, because it is about... one of the classic influences, uh, you know, for those of well, us. Well, maybe that's something for the augury to take into consideration. Yeah, you know, a little, little exam on that one. But you could make that the emphasis of your player character's activities in between Cthulhu-level encounters. You know, they're working on all Yeah, not everything stuff. has to be tipping the scales in the balance of the world's survival for tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing a one-off, all right, sure. You know, Cthulhu pops up, everybody dies. Great ending. Wow, also, thanks a lot. Also fun, but if you really want to drag this out as a period piece and have the players engaged in a full-scale campaign, the Cthulhu-level stuff can be lightly interspersed and theoretically survived. Oh, yeah, like Shadows of yogg Zothith or... Yeah, well, they deal uh, with all kinds of other stuff. You know, nothing like, uh, you know, 70,000 zombies coming after you. <laughs> yeah, but we'll Not get even to kidding. that next week. Oh, yeah. We, we aren't going to... I, I don't think we could do it justice even in a two-part review to the Mask of the Autotep. No. I think we'll just... Uh, I, I think it's one of those things where maybe we'll talk about it a little bit here or there. But um, that proves right there that you... Like Mike said, you can... Uh, it's not all Nile Arthotep all the time. But there is a lot of tension and horror. And there's different types of horror that you... Besides just suspense and mystery that you constantly see. But the big thing for me has always been with Call of Cthulhu and the Haunting is suspense and mystery. Those are the keynotes. And if you play it right with your players, that will keep on them on the edge of their seats and ready for anything... And that's what you want. You don't want them scared or perpetually hiding under the table. You want them nervous. <laughs> Uncertain about what's going to happen next. How this is going to pan out. 
Yeah, their only insulation against that is how well they studied beforehand and how many clues they have at their disposal. And still, not all things are going to be known to them. It mm -hmm. cannot be helped. A certain amount of unsureness should be fostered by the DM. Uh, it, it's, as I said before, I'm a big fan of the red herring in the bluff. You know, there's a, it's great to give them some accurate and true stuff to work with, but just to keep it interesting, a little bit of BS should slip in there. <laughs> and it's up to them to parse for themselves, like, is this part factual, is this part not? Uh, leave that to them. Uh, unless you, you know, have some very inexperienced players, in which case a little bit more guidance is totally okay. If you're just getting their feet wet, and they haven't really learned the ropes of the game yet, hey, that's okay. You can you you can put on the gloves and you know you get in the ring and just just dot them a little bit. Uh, but hey, if you've got experienced players, that is the best of all scenarios. Yeah, Whatever they know. Happens, what the chips fall where they may. They knew this. They knew what they were getting into. You know the score. That's what I like. So yeah, uh, that that does. We'll wrap it up for us on our. Review yeah. of The Haunting, and both the old and the new. We, we kind of touched a little bit on the old one. And to be honest, you know, there's there's a lot you can pick apart on that based on the brevity. I want to say brevity, but it's also a little too short, I think, for how much can be made out of it. But I think the 7th edition uh, quick start rules where it's included in, it's a perfect balance right there. Yeah, they've really like, filled in some of the blanks and put a little more meat on the bone there. It, it's much, much more... Uh, it is ready for use by keepers of considerable experience or minimal experience. Whereas before, I would have said the people who delivered the best bang for their you know, gaming time would have been the more experienced keepers who knew how to fluff some extra stuff into the uh, original module. Right. So, all right. Well, hey, it's also international podcasting. Really? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, I guess it is. Spotify does it. Oh, wow. Good for us. Yeah, so this is our podcast day, so we're going to put that out there. We hope you enjoy listening to our podcast. Hey, we're just cranking them out and, and looking like we have plenty of gas in the tank for a lot more. And we enjoy providing you with a lot of good content, and we appreciate the support you have. But as always, if you have any comments or questions, concerns, you can uh, voice them to our Facebook page, The Dicey Screaming, where we have... Kind of a nice little community starting up here. Uh, there's a little bit of exchange, and we've really appreciated all the input from yeah. folks like Lee Brown and others who have come up and helped us with our research and also resources and getting some episodes out here. So that's been invaluable. And also coming up here, as we promised, uh, we're going to have some logos coming out here, so we'll actually look professional. <laughs> or, or as non-professional as we desire to look. Yeah, and uh, we'll also be starting an Instagram account where we'll be taking some pictures as we podcast. And gifts. Yeah, we'll be gifting some out some mugs here pretty shortly. Yeah. As I understand it. This uh, stuff is finally in the works. Yeah, we're finally getting our stuff squared away, so keep up with that. So, hey, uh, we thank everybody for uh, listening, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast. But we're going to let you go, and hopefully you have a spooky spoke-tember. And may the dice... Always, Always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.